four seconds to shoot. And 4.5 left in the game. That was not a good set. The Knicks have to get themselves two chances to tie or win the ball game. Four seconds. Van Gundy calls a play, a triangle. That usually means something for Ewing out in Houston. Houston ducks under. Got it! With eight tenths left. Shot clock violation here. Allen Houston slices through and very reminiscent of a regular season game that we had last year. Shot clock not a factor at all as easily before it expired. Well, the shot clock shouldn't have been on because there's only 19 seconds to go when they had the final possession. Looking at how much time is left in the clock. Remember Allen Houston, the last time we were here, and he tipped the ball in and they took the basket away. This time Allen Houston is <laughs> legit. He is the hero on a tough day. He seals the deal with eight tenths of a second left. Oh, yes, he does. Right at the body of Anderson Berenzel. Welcome to your Kodak moment, Anderson Berenzel. Game catches, puts up the three. Won't go. Rebound back. Back out to Adam. History player. Man! Play game with five seconds for me. Hey, Knicks fans, welcome to another episode of the Nickish Podcast. You got Mo and Nafi here. It's the middle of the summer and the dust is settling on free agency. Summer League is coming to a close and we just reached our 25th episode. To celebrate this milestone, we've got the privilege and honor of bringing in a very special guest, someone that you would call one of the godfathers of Nick's Twitter, a pioneer of sorts, and the founder of the Nick's Film School, Mr. Jeffrey Ballone, otherwise known as JB. Welcome to the show, man. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Excited to be on. Thanks for actually uh, giving us the time to come on. Um, I know um, in comparison to uh, what you guys are doing at uh, Nick's Film School, uh, we're not quite there at that level yet, but uh, we do appreciate you, you guys uh, for you coming on and uh, um, gracing our, our show with your presence. <laughs> yeah, you guys are too kind with that. We all we all started episode one, episode 25, follower one. I mean, I just had my, you know, the main account got suspended, right? So right. I had to go back with the Nick's Film School's Count starting from zero, you know, sort of refreshing. It's like you know, it just it just reminds you all of us are kind of not doing the same thing. So I I just look at it that way. So glad to be on. We truly appreciate that, and it would not be an exaggeration whatsoever that you and alongside Jonathan Macri uh, are two people that thousands, literally thousands of Knicks fans look to when something goes on. And we all know that there are a lot of things that go on with the New York Knicks. So anytime, uh, you know. Kevin Durant doesn't join the Knicks or we don't get Kyrie Irving, the first thing I do, I type in Knicks Film School and I, I got to read your thoughts just to calm myself down. Uh, a lot of what we talk about on, on our podcast episodes, it's it's really sourced out from you guys. So, uh, you know, lots of thanks to you and, and John both and everyone at Knicks Film School uh, for putting the work that you guys put in on a daily and, you know, almost hourly basis. Yeah, no, it, it definitely can be a grind. I think we're both... Uh, you know, it's funny because it's supposed to be the league calendar flips over July 1. But really, 
you know, you've gone through the whole season, you have the draft, and then it, there's really no break, right? You got free agency in summer league. And I think both me and Sean were thinking the same thing of, you know, it'd be a little nice to have a, a couple weeks here where for the most part there shouldn't be any major news or anything going on, but um, but it's fun to do. What's right. funny is that Nafi and I were thinking the same thing, and we, we only record once a week, sometimes even once every two weeks, and we are like ourselves both felt a little exhausted from all the tweets that were going on and just trying to keep up with all the different changes we were seeing in the NBA. And, you know, we, we said to each other, we were like, we can only imagine what's like for, for the Knicks film school guys, because they, they're, they're really putting in the work. And if we're feeling exhausted, it's, it's only, you know, imagination at that point of what it's like for you guys. Yeah, no, exactly. I think for everyone, it'll be good to get a little breath of fresh air here. Hopefully, you know, I mean, you never know the way this offseason is going. There might be, you know, a Bradley Beal trade or some sorts in the next few days. Who knows? You know, it just uh, the NBA, uh, you know, just keeps spinning. And uh, it's uh, fellas like you at a Knicks film school that uh, just you've got. I mean, even if it's not tangentially or related to the Knicks, it's, you've got to kind of be on top of it, you know. And um, so like Mo had said, it's just uh, just keeping up with everything that's happening in NBA. It's just. It's uh, once we started doing this podcast, it's uh, it's different when you're a fan and just kind of spectating and you can have your own thoughts personally. But when you're trying to like uh, do a podcast uh, every week or whatever, it's it's tough to keep up with the content and just what's happening. And like, you know, you can't really know what it's like until you walk a, a mile in somebody else's shoes. So we, we barely walked a half a mile to, you know, c- compare ourselves to you at uh, Nick's Film School. So once again, props. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, uh, you know, like I mentioned earlier, this is our 25th episode, so we were a little curious on at what point for, for Knicks Film School, because we, we started this about a year ago, uh, not even, we started this pretty much uh, NBA Game 1 back in October of 2018, and at that point we saw Knicks Film School as one of the top, if not the top, uh, Knicks Twitter account or uh, just Knicks media account to follow. So at, at what point do you feel like you guys really hit that meteoric rise to top and you know, what, what do you feel like got you to that point? We're just trying to find out the... Uh... I mean, we're, we're really just trying to find out your secret recipe to success, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> the secret sauce, right? Or exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I, I guess we're alluding to, right? Like, it's like anything, you know, I guess the hard work uh, luckily, you know, pays off with it. I think when, because when it, you know, the, the account has evolved, too, because when I first started and I was uh, writing for the Knicks wall and I was really just focused on video breakdowns, so, you know, I think, you know, initially it helps like being a part of another very popular blog like the Knicks Wall. So I never forget that, you know, starting off, you know, you get that help from the beginning, getting that exposure. Right. Um, and it's why, like, I, I'm always happy to help other people kind of starting off and give, you know, because, you know, everyone can use that little help uh, to get going. And then I think it was around like I started doing it, let's say, in like May time frame and then that following November I did a video on Ennis Cantor's defense, believe it or not. How long did that take you? <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because what it was, and maybe that's the other kind of secret sauce to start of it was I just felt like as a fan, there were a lot of things like that where, like, we all knew Cantor's defense wasn't good. And this is, remember, back when they first traded for him. So we hadn't, like, watched him on a nightly basis. Right. But I was always curious, like, so what does that really mean? Like, does that mean, like, every single game every single play like he's being bad like we know if you got a scorer or a shooter there's nights that he might shoot three of 18 and it's easier to see because the stats are right there but on defense you don't see it so i was was just interested with Cantor. could i watch a game 
or, you know, find a random spot where he had his like equivalent the other way. Like he shot 12 of 15, but on defense. And I found one like that and I put out the video and Cantor took the video and tweeted it from his account. And the mm-hmm. fact that you're like, oh, wait a minute. Now, like, the player's actually seeing it. I hope, you know, everything I said in that wasn't actually pretty stupid or something. <laughs> but um, I think that's when you kind of realize, like, okay, maybe people are paying attention to this a little bit. Right, right. Uh, you know, when, when did you feel like – because these clips weren't as – available as maybe even maybe in five years ago it was a lot harder to find clips like that uh you know at what point because you're particularly specific about the clips that you find and it's it's hard to watch every moment of every game uh especially even for the knicks just because the last five years were, were so hard to watch you know at what point did you feel like you know this is this is something that i can do is like clips are available i i can watch i'm able to watch every game and uh you know really catch these clips that i'm looking for at at what year was it? Was it during the? Was it more so during the early mellow era? Maybe prior to that? Uh, you know, what would you say? Um, no, it wasn't. Yeah, no, it wasn't even that long ago because I really started it in 2017. So mm-hmm. it, it's really only been the, the two years that um, it's come up. And it's funny because the account has evolved. I feel like sort of how the team has, and I think that's another key thing. Is it's like when I first started you know, I wanted to really focus on breaking down, you know, what was going on in the court. But then obviously over the past two years, the team just hasn't been very good. And then this past year in particular, you know, it just got to the point where like, you know, they're 10 and 40 and they lose the game by 25 points. And you're like, no one really cares at this point who missed a rotation on defense because right. it happened a thousand times. Right. So like, I think that's why the account evolved over the past year into being more, let's just be really on top of all of the news that comes out because we really were as Knicks fans living the last six to eight months in terms of, you know, what rumors coming out, who said what, what, you know, what, what's going on. So I'm kind of excited to switch back to be honest with you after going through that phase, but I just felt like that was the thing that was kind of more on, on Nick Stan's mind. Like you go to a game and like, no one's talking about the game. They're talking about, you know, who might come. Right. And I just felt like that, you know, that made sense to kind of match the account more to that versus like I said, getting back. Cause on the basketball side, like I said, it's a totally different routine because following the news is just kind of staying on top of all the reports that come out. But you know, if you're trying to break down, the the gameplay then that's a different type of time commitment where you got to sit down and watch the game you know maybe two or three times to see what's happening and right. as you do that more you're a little quicker obviously at seeing of noticing things but it's they're both i guess heavy time commitments but just totally different routines in doing it definitely um I definitely feel like just um that aspect of it, just breaking down film and kind of obviously set you guys apart. I mean, it's it's in the name, right? Nick's Film School. So, um, recently you guys had um actually partnered with MSG, um, some collaborative work there. So, um, uh, we called you a pioneer, pioneer when we introduced you. So that's uh that right there is partially why you know you guys went from a Nick's blog to uh you know being on on the airwaves on TV. So, mm-hmm. um, I guess my question is just how did that really come about? Um, did they reach out to you or was that just um they, they, you guys kind of just, you know, reached out to them, said, Hey, we've got some content we could could help you guys with, or how'd that come about? Yeah. Yeah. No, it came by and it's still kind of funny to me that it happened at all. Cause I always say I'm, I'm a personality that's probably better for breaking down film in a dark room than being on TV. But (laughs) Jonathan's a lot better than me. Like he's got just that natural, you know, he, he can talk 
and uh, you know, he's got all the right kind of facial expressions and all the things <laughs> he's supposed to do in front of the camera. Um, but no, that came about just they had actually reached out to us. I think they're making wow. a good yeah. effort overall, right. overall at the program to let, um, to essentially reach out more to like some of the blogs just to say like, okay, this is a good way to you know show fans like we're not just this like corporate you know tv network like we also kind of get what fans want the type of content they want so they had reached out to us about doing it they also had come to came to a, a lottery watch party that we did and i think that kind of opened up the um, relationship a bit so but yeah we're very lucky that <laughs> that we got that opportunity for sure and, and i mean you mentioned the lottery party i think espn had cameras on you guys there as well so um how did that feel honestly just having uh, espn folks of uh, kind of live broadcasting uh uh, the, the event you guys put on um, was, that, was that was that a little surreal or did you guys uh, just have a feeling of accomplishment they're like hey we're just here to kind of just watch a lottery drawing but um we've got eyes on us nationally you know um and, uh, par- pardon the yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah pardon the uh, the, the background yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, they're cleaning up from uh, the power being up there, right um no that was really cool we actually didn't know they were even coming is the funny part so we oh, had wow. talked to the because you know we do everything on the site you know one of the other i guess different aspects is we've been doing using the platform to raise money for charity and a lot of these events that we do mm-hmm. raise money for charity so i wasn't like surprised if that became something that like the new york post did an article and it kind of made sense to me like okay you know it's a nice story for them but we should we literally that i think that morning i got an email from the owner of the bar and, and he was just like yeah yes ken is coming I, that, oh, was, that wow. was how i knew so I, they must have somehow, you know, the, the other thing too that me and Jonathan talk about that's funny is like, you don't know like who might be following you on, on Twitter or Instagram. So mm-hmm. sometimes you might have someone that you, you notice that someone like famous or whatever follows you, but you might actually have someone who works in marketing at ESPN or who's like actually an important decision maker somewhere who right. follows you. And, and because of that, they see you're doing the party and then all of a sudden they're there and you're kind of like, where did this come from? And I think that both probably with MSG and ESPN, I, I, I kind of feel like that's maybe what happened. Because I know when we, were, when we went to record at MSG, a lot of the people there were like, oh, we're all like huge fans of the account. And that, wow. that was kind of weird because it just reminded you like, yeah, so these people are all kind of seeing what we're saying. And, um, you know, I think that's what, you know, helped lead, lead into those opportunities cool i mean that's very cool just um i know just um you know if we, if we were in your shoes that'd just be very surreal just walking into msg or just working with msg and people are saying hey we love your work so um uh, did you guys hear any whispers about dolan uh, paying attention to the next film school content or uh did you, did you get that far <laughs> i'm not no i haven't reached it that far um you know i think there's definitely people um you know at, at some level within the Knicks that pay attention um, just because I think they pay attention to kind of anything that goes out to, to a broader audience. So, you know, for us, it's more focused, I think, on social media um, side. But, you know, I think in general, because we're a little more positive minded, right. um, you know, I think they appreciate that aspect of it. It's not that we won't say something negative, but we're not looking to just, you know, the whole Knicks for clicks thing. I think mm-hmm. there's there's just a, a large group of fans, I think, that are kind of over that whole aspect of how the team is covered. And we sort of fit in perfectly with that sentiment happening right now. And we happen to just kind of be more positive minded. So, 
Um, I have a feeling that they've noticed that, but you know, we haven't, <laughs> we haven't heard much calls uh, beyond that from anywhere, you know, high up in the organization. Right. I mean, and just uh, speaking as a fan, you know, just, um, as a Knicks fan, obviously we're all Knicks fans, but just um, uh, the the type of like tone you guys use with uh, with your content, it is really a breath breath of fresh air, you know, compared to just the coverage we get in the in the papers, you know, the Daily News and on New York Post. Um, uh, to a lot of Knicks fans that are kind of you know in the weeds on Twitter, they uh, we know the infamous reporters that kind of just cynical, just be cynical, you know, like the uh, uh, Stephen Bondy, um, Frank Isola kind of was famous for that obviously he's not really at the daily news anymore so um just speaking from that perspective um not not, not to denigrate those guys but just um uh that you know that kind of uh, difference in a perspective you guys provide it's really a breath of fresh air just um Absolutely. not even just positivity but just um i, I kind of see this ob- objectivity you know um there's you guys aren't going in with just like oh it's lol knicks you know we've got to go in with the mindset we're gonna clown the knicks for for nothing it's just you guys kind of um, going with that, you know, with an objective viewpoint, and that's really appreciated, obviously. Right, and we see a lot of uh, Nick's Twitter accounts that will c- try to kind of try to come at you guys, uh, not always in positive ways, but we we pay attention to the responses that you guys put out to those guys, and you know, like Nafi said, they're not they're always very in a je- in an objective form, but also in a positive manner, and you know, we we look up to that, and we you know we sometimes we can't always you know hold ourselves back from seeing a lot of dumb <laughs> Knicks, uh, you know, tweets or tweets against the Knicks. And we kind of, kind of just speak out against that where we, you know, we've been, you know, guilty of saying Knicks for clicks a little too much. And we're, you know, we see you guys not doing that as much. And, you know, we learn from that and we're, and I'm sure other Knicks bloggers, other Knicks tweet, uh, twi- Twitter accounts try to really follow what you guys do. Um, but as, as far as that goes, uh, how how hard was it to remain positive after that free agency decision? We just you know just just a quick uh you know wondering. I'm just, I mean yeah. yeah it's just what what was no, your I mean, initial reaction to that gut punch basically? <laughs> Outside of Twitter, we know what you guys yeah. put out on Twitter, but initially JB yeah, yourself yeah, yeah. in your heart, how'd you feel? I think there's definitely a reality that's setting in. I would guess for a lot of Knicks fans of it happens and in like the moment of the craze where like we're all basically like refreshing our social media feeds for the next thing Woj is going to tweet out and there's all this like instant kind of lol mix and you're sort of mm-hmm. like kind of fighting that off and you're just you're thinking about oh man it's got to be the nets too that got them if you're next <laughs> fan you're thinking that um i think all that you're still you're just processing more the like the moment i'll say Mm-hmm. Like this is a moment that lasts for some time of just reacting to it happening. But now I think settling down from that, you know, and I think, I think you have to be just a little disappointed in the sense of they're not going to be a competitive team for a while. Right. So meaning if the positive side of it is to say, okay, look, they didn't overreact just like they said, as much as everyone gets on the Knicks for, you know, Dolan in particular for being confident to sign free agents, uh, superstar free agents. They also kept reiterating that they weren't going to overreact if they didn't, and they came through with that promise. They didn't right. sign the big bad contract they did, right? So I think you feel good about that, and you feel good about the young players um, that they have. And there's a lot of fans I think that are just excited about seeing this group develop. But I guess all that aside, when you're asking, like, yeah, but still, what's kind of the real feeling? I still think the real feeling is. Yeah, but you know what? It still would be nice if they weren't probably only going to win, you know, 30 games or 35, and that's going to be the big improvement, right? Like they went mm-hmm. 17, so if they won somehow 35, that's 
that's actually a pretty good improvement. Right. But the point is, after they've been bad for a while, it would have been fun, obviously. Like, that's <laughs> the whole point here. You know, if you could have taken that big leap where you still had all those young players, but you somehow got one of these guys that, you know, you, you sped up the, the timeline a bit. So I guess it's more just getting used to the fact that they're not – it's going to be some time before they're a 50-win team. But that doesn't mean that I wanted them to just, like, make themselves a 50-win team at the cost of everything else. I'd rather have either done it the way they were trying to do it or or now just take take the slower path. But you still – doesn't mean you have to love the, you know, the everyday outcome of the slower path. I mean, it's, it's not fun watching a team that's not competitive every single year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, you had a – I guess that I guess that's the that's the feeling we both share. It's just um it, it stung obviously and just like you had said it's just it would have been fun to go jump right into co- contending. Uh, we mm-hmm. uh, if we had you know if we had done what the Nets had did it was just an easy path to just cut the line to being a contender in the league. And you know after everything we've been through as fans it's uh it that that's probably why it stings the most. And also obviously they're going to the crosstown rivals so it's like a double gut punch. But um what I I guess what I really you know perk my ears up was uh you had mentioned uh, you don't see us being really competitive for a while maybe being a 30 35 wins is that your official projection for the season um because i know it got it kind of goes against uh what uh dennis smith jr had said p had floated playoffs uh, mm-hmm. a few times i think yeah, so. right. <laughs> um so uh, yeah, yeah i, guess I mean JP... i guess yeah go ahead sorry i i have to put them yeah no I'd, I'd have to put them there right now in time i mean maybe once like you know I feel like we're at this point where you just kind of like pull up all the depth charts again and be like, wait, where did everyone even end up? Like there's so much movement and mm-hmm. you watch every move like in, in its individual like headline that comes out and now you got to look at all the rosters. So, you know, maybe when you look at the East, you can start to like make an argument like, okay, maybe they end up a, a little higher. But I just think when you're going to play guys like RJ Barrett, Kevin Knox, Mitchell Robinson, you know, even – Dennis Smith Jr., if it's Alfred Payton, you know, you're going down the list and you're like, these are all really young players. So, you know, your hope is that they all show you development or in the R.J. Barrett's case, just show you like he's, you know, going to be a productive rookie. But it's just very unlikely when the majority of your minutes go to those type of players that you win a lot of games. The difference from this year and last year is you at least then have some veterans now around them and i think that's why instead of saying okay they're only going to win 17 games where you know they were having trouble in summer you know if you think on summer league i guess the the, the thought was well, wait a minute we're we're playing like three or five starters <laughs> tonight, right? yeah it's um, a, it's but you know gone. yeah go on no uh it's an interesting point that you made uh, they're all very young players if you think about it we have about nine of those players were drafted in the last three seasons, including this season, uh, this summer. So 19, 18, 17, that's nine players, and that's majority of the rotation. Very, very young players. So, you know, I, I'm I'm curious to know who you believe will be end up being the best out of those nine players. Probably maybe R.J. Bear, or Kevin Knox, or Mitchell Robinson, but who do you project to see as being that 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 player that stands out above the rest from those nine players? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, the thing is, with Mitchell Robinson, he has a chance to stand out just because he does, like, a superlative thing. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's one thing to beat someone like a Kevin Knox where, you know, he sort of needs all of his game to, like, round up to then become 
a productive NBA player where then maybe he obviously has strengths and weaknesses like any other player. But there's nothing where you're going to say like, oh, I know, like I'm a casual NBA fan and I know Kevin Knox does this. Or Mitchell Robinson, he doesn't even necessarily have to round out much of the rest of his game. And he could just be a player that like 15 years from now, even the casual fans knows is this just elite shot blocker. And then he does a couple other things, you know, sort of well, and that makes him a special player. So from that standpoint, I think Mitchell Robinson has that, you know, has the biggest chance of just being a difference maker because you already see that he has that like elite skill. But in terms of just like overall player, then yeah, I think RJ Barrett based on pedigree, you would guess is the one that, you know, in terms of who's the guy that makes like, let's say the most all-star games, I think you would have to guess at this point, it would be RJ Barrett. Nice. Yeah. Three straight double doubles in the summer league. You know, we know that you're not supposed to put too much brevity towards the summer league, but you know, after, as soon as we see so many accounts trying to trash RJ Barrett for not playing so well in, in the first 64 minutes of his NBA career as a 19 year old is very, <laughs> Very right. nice to see one of our own guys getting three straight double-doubles and just shutting everybody up right there. Yeah, no, exactly. And I guess you got to do it both ways. So if we were if we were saying over and over again, you can't overreact to the bad in Summer League, uh, we can't now overreact yeah, to right, the good right. either, right? So it kind of goes both sides. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the point is, and, it, you know, it's funny. To me, sometimes the way I learn the most about the team is not necessarily just like watching all the games, but it's in the conversations, like having with people, you know, like you put out a tweet like that, like RJ Barrett had, you know, with his double doubles and then everyone's responding to it. Or I think one night after the second game, I was like, are people really worried about Barrett or are they just seeing the things that worried them before? And I think that was interesting seeing the responses because it really wasn't, it shows you like it's not necessarily all people just literally what like there's some like this, but not all people are watching two games and saying that's why it's bad. Mm-hmm. There are some people who watched him in college, saw things that he had problems with, mm-hmm. and then it's you know still seeing him now, and they're just saying like this is just proof of what I was trying to tell you before. And I guess those people I'll give a little more you know legitimacy to that right. they're not just you know using the two games, but. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's a long. If if a player didn't do something well at the end of his college career, they haven't had the time or the training to develop from then until summer league. Because essentially, there's just like a break where right. they would maybe work out with like their personal trainer. But to me, it's more next year you can kind of make the better assessment of are those weaknesses or strengths you know real because they've actually had time to change them we're, we're expecting these guys to look different than in college how could they they've done nothing since they graduated exactly. to be anything different <laughs> right and i guess with um in rj's particular case um um the last guest on nick's film school uh spencer perlman uh, who I, we, we both uh, know on our side we really appreciate the work he does on twitter as well just with his film breakdowns um he was um if I recall correctly, he was one of the first RJ skeptics, I, I believe, early on, and he had come around a little bit, but uh, he had kind of really uh, put a spotlight on the, on the flaws that could kind of uh, keep RJ from a you know superstardom, so to speak. So, um, our, like I guess my question is in a roundabout way is just um, what, what's your personal projection for RJ? Just um, based off what you've seen, um, I know you had mentioned maybe in a previous pod, um, you're you, know, you do so much film work uh, on the NBA that uh, you don't really get a chance to uh 
uh, watch much college basketball, but just from what you've seen and from RJ so far, I guess, what's your personal um, projection for what he can be or what, what he's likely to be? Yeah, no, that's right. I, it's always hard for me at the college players because, um, you know, I don't like to talk about things I don't feel as confident about, but mm-hmm. I guess, you know, with him, it's probably more about, like, I feel good in the open court, you know, that he's a player that's going to be, you know, and it's funny, I guess I'll back up. This this shows you a lot about players developing in the right spot and how important it could be. So, for instance, with the Knicks, obviously their defense has been anything, you know, but good in the recent past. And when you think of a player like R.J. Barrett, who one of his strongest skill sets is in transition in the open court, and the way you get those opportunities is a lot of times if you're a team that has a good defense or it's scrappy and creating you know steals or pushing it off, off the other team's misses and you think well if they're not going to be a, def- a good defensive team you don't have as many of those opportunities he then can't shine as often in what he does well and then you know how it is it's like sometimes you need you know it's just like in baseball right like a guy's in a slump and it's just funny how a little bloop hit can get him going same thing in basketball like just the idea that you get a couple easy baskets in transition, which he was used to getting all the time right. when he played in college, and that kind of gets you going. So I worry a little bit that at first, if he's not doing that, and he's just relying on his shot, and he's not a guy that has proven yet that he's going to just like get the ball 101 and blow by his defender, that there could be some struggle there. I think once the team kind of builds a little better of a defense and puts him in the right spots, then um, that's where I think you could see the the higher level things, you know, come from him where, you know, it's funny with Knox. I feel like he came up and his issues were he couldn't drive um, left and he wasn't very good at like when he had contact, you know, Mm -hmm. finishing near the rim. Mm -hmm. And here's RJ Barrett. He can't drive right. And he's good at drawing contact. So, you know, it, it's funny that they've kind of had those two opposites, but I guess if I had to pick, I would rather have the what Barrett has because, you know, there's more players are going to be right-handed anyways. And, you know, finishing with contact near the rim, that's how if your shot's not falling, you know, that's how you get points. His big thing will be can he, when he's not in transition, beat his guy one-on-one to create those opportunities where he's finishing near the rim? Or can he be in an offensive system where they're running, uh, you know, enough, you know, plays for him and whether it's a pick and roll or whatever to get him the ball kind of running downhill. And I think that will dictate a lot about what we see him become. And I think, you know, as positive as there's like a section of Nick's Twitter, I call like quote smart Nick's Twitter. That I always <laughs> Are we in that? For their thoughts on things. <laughs> yes. <Just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I feel like, the underlying thing is like we were talking about earlier, right? Like, you know, a lot of Nick's Twitter is actually fairly positive about the team relative to how the media covers them. Mm -hmm. But I think Fizdale is the one area that you could argue. There's a little underlying doubt there of what exactly is he, we know he connects with the players. We know that with talent, you know, he can obviously get the guys to, to, I think, maximize the talent they have. I'm just not sure yet, you know, is he the guy that's going to do exactly what I was just describing there, put the the players in the right system, create kind of the right system for these players to operate. 
where it really emphasizes their strengths and limits their, their weaknesses. He didn't have a fair shot last year because the roster was just, you know, kind of a mess. <laughs> Let's, this year's the big test to see does that, does that happen? And then I think we'll find out more about him as a coach. Okay, I'll give you a, a long answer on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you brought in Fizdale. Uh, we actually have a whole, we have a, we have a bunch of questions coming up all about David Fizdale and the upcoming season. But I did want to take a step back to, to RJ Barrett for a second because there have been a lot of tweets lately uh, alluding to the idea of maybe RJ Barrett could take on the one and be a point guard just because he has you know, special passing ability traits uh, and being able to make advanced reads. Even last night, he had 10 assists and 8 rebounds. And he's been, and even in college, he was a great passer and is able to rack up the assists. So he's a six foot seven guy. He has a big body and a nice frame. So what, what do you think of that? Do you think we're just trying to think, we're just trying to... Are we being too optimistic or <laughs> is there a possibility that uh, just given RJ's, uh, you know, the traits that he's possessed so far and just, uh, you know, in the future, maybe down the line, he could kind of be a... Uh, I don't want to throw the James Harden comparison out there because that's a lofty comparison, obviously. But just, you know, along the lines of that kind of role where he's a kind of the big point guard, the big ball handler that kind of facilitates everybody else. Do you do you think he has that in him, maybe down the line? Yeah, I mean, I've seen people that would know better than me kind of suggest that. But I guess I, I would trust that. I don't, again, I guess I wouldn't know enough of his game i'm not i don't feel familiar enough with his game to say you know yeah i definitely agree with that or not but you know i think what the next issue is it's you know it's sort of like in football where they say you know if you have two quarterbacks you really don't have any i think the question as they add alfred payton out to the mix is Mm -hmm. between payton Smith jr and frank and you know maybe each one with the exception of payton you can make some arguments for them being better off the ball anyways you know, do any of those three actually just become the point guard of the future? Or is it that the guy the guy or guys that they keep, they end up keeping more because they fit well alongside someone like Barrett who can take some of the playmaking, um, you know, tasks off their hands, and then it works. So, you know, I think that's everyone's argument about Frank's value is he doesn't need the ball in his hands to do what – you know what he does well and obviously he plays defense so you know maybe that's why he fits and it's not so much okay rj barrett you're starting point guard every night but there are lineups where you have him with another guard who doesn't need to be like traditional i'm the one with the ball in my hands all the time i'm always starting all the action you know you you can do things a little different so i think the opportunities there with the way the roster is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the other big question this year, right? Like which of those three, I mean, even Frank, like does he end up staying on the team? Right. But which of those three, if any, take that next jump that you can kind of count on them and, and where, you know, where do they fit best? Are they actually just the true bona fide starting point guard or are they, you know, another kind of more guard to the mix that sometimes play on the ball, sometimes play off? Well, I mean, JB, since you brought it up, we're kind of going to have to put you on the spot then. I mean, of the three that you mentioned uh, this year and maybe going forward, who is the Knicks' uh, point guard of the future? Um, I guess that's a two-part question is who's who's going to be the main point guard this season? And just two, um, who's the, is, is our point guard of the future even on the roster right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to bet on Dennis Smith Jr. I think mm-hmm. he's the one that has the most potential to – like if we let's put it this way, if we were all sitting here a year from now and I said one of the Knicks point guards had like an unexpected breakout season, who would you bet your life it was? 
Dennis Smith. I mean, I think <laughs> most right, Dennis Smith Jr. Right, you're not going to say Alfred Payton. I mean, you probably Obviously. won't. Although, I mean, that said, he did. You know, he did have a little run last year where, um, you know, he he was putting up triple doubles hmm. and you know he he was there. But I just think Dennis Smith Jr. would be maybe the one. It's not saying the other guys couldn't. It's just he would surprise me the least if right. he did that. Um, I do just think. When when you have just talent like guys like you know LeBron or Durant, it's easy. Those guys are always on any roster, any coach, any front office. They're gonna be the main guys. I always feel like what is different from like front office to front office is more of these kind of role guys in terms of who they like and don't like, and the way that you you know you kind of draw the map of. Obviously, Peyton has a connection back to Orlando right. with uh, Perry. We know that Frank was kind of that last Phil Jackson pick, you know, you, you know, so if you're making the, the guess on what they do on the court, I think it's a little different than when you say who is making the decisions and how did they have sort of a relationship with these different guys? You'd like to think they, you know, they put that to the side, but I think we know, I mean, the reason Alfred Payton is here for a reason, right? So right. Um, I would guess Frank is, the odd man out if I had to say one is out and mm-hmm. but I, I think it's more because of those reasons than it than, than anything right and I guess our uh, both me and Mo our biggest collective fear is Peyton just becomes this year's Moutier you know just against all odds he's the guy that uh, uh Fisdell leans on and you know there's also that added uh that Scott Perry factor that it almost feels like Perry's been infatuated with him because I believe there's been rumors of uh, us uh, once says Perry stepped in the door of him going after Peyton to bring to the Knicks. So. They draft him. Yeah, right. Right. So I mean, uh, I guess uh, that that's my biggest fear because I'm I'm the resident you know Dennis Smith uh, fanboy on this podcast. So um, everything you just said is just music to my ears. So uh, okay. really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> so I I think uh, it would be very difficult. I I think someone with the hardest job right now would be David Fisdale. Because he has so many players to choose from, so many different rotations he could think of. So, if you had a, if you had to come up with a starting five that you would want in particular, JB, who would you who would you go with? Because now we got Marcus Morris guess, uh, on the team. Yeah, he, now that he got right, he might be the best player on the Knicks on Knicks team right now, just just based off his experience and how he's been playing lately. He might be able to take that three level position, but if he does, maybe Knox won't be playing it. So, if you had to choose a starting five uh, for David Fizdale today, who would you go with? Well, yeah, and I think that that's the other side of this too is, you know, who, when they sign these different players, conversations were had. And and I'm always curious on what types of, you know, if you want to call them promises, but, yeah, what type of promises were made, right? So if right. Marcus Morris is going to cause kind of a storm to back out of a deal from mm-hmm. the Spurs and sign with the Knicks, and we could all say, you know, even the money is enough incentive. Is he doing that without the Knicks telling him what exactly what his role is going to be as well. Um, Meaning like if I said right now, okay, I would, you know, you do Dennis Smith Jr., RJ Barrett, Kevin Knox, and then Randall and Mitchell Robinson as your two bigs. I think that would be something a lot of Knicks fans would be like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Right. Mm, Like you're playing, you know, Barrett, Knox, Mitchell Robinson, three, your young guys, Randall's your big kind of, signing that actually has a future with the team and Dennis Smith Jr. is probably, you know, your strongest starting point guard at this point. But if Marcus Morris was promised, uh, you know, major minutes, um, then you wonder like, do they, 
could they possibly go with Mitch off the bench? Because they're, you know, he is so young. He still has some of the foul troubles, and maybe he still his minute still goes up like from last year, mm-hmm. but he doesn't get it from starting, right? Like he gets it, you know, he, he has to come in behind the veteran. And, you know, if there's a guy in the locker room, and I think that's why they emphasize this is, you know, I think, I think they wanted guys that if they had to play around with the minutes, they're guys like, is Mitchell Robinson really going to go up to Marcus Morris and have a problem, right? Like, <laughs> you know, oh, that, man. that I think is part of it. So, you know, that would be interesting if they, like I said, what they told these guys their minutes would be. Because, I mean, look at even like a Todd Gibson. I mean, the amount of money he took, I thought, was a bit high. And I'm wondering if part of it's high is because they essentially told him, look, like, you're not going to play a ton of minutes because we, we just don't have them. But we really think it's important the minutes you do give us and the leadership you give us. So we'll kind of, you know, give you, you know, a nice deal to kind of make up for some of that. Because you start going on a list and you're like, yeah, like, there's 96 minutes for Randall, Marcus Morris, Todd Gibson, Bobby Portis, Mitchell Robinson. I mean, there's a lot of guys you're fitting in to those minutes, and not all of them. I mean, I know you know like guys like Marcus Morris, they played the three in the past, but not all of them are exactly the most conducive to playing the three. Mm-hmm. And you're also taking away all the four minutes from someone like Kevin Knox, who we know they've liked to play the four. And that, that's the part you know that isn't talked about as much either it's it's not just how do we fit all the power fours what about some of those guys like him that you would maybe want to play at the four and now if you did that you're taking away more minutes so so anyways the answer it's i think desmond jr barrett knox randall mitch would be kind of like ideal at this point in time but if you told me marcus morris was starting but mitch still got more minutes than say he did last season i wouldn't be surprised if that's kind of how it how it started off yeah, I would completely agree with that. Now, I, I do have a follow-up question with, with all the points you just made. Um, a lot of the players that we just signed, they were on two-year contracts, one year being a team option. So would you be surprised if there were problems? Uh, like, for example, a lot of these players would might be free agents next season. They might be you know worried about what kind of contracts they get next season, so they're going to want to they wouldn't be too worried about how the young young players get the ball or like they might not want to dish the ball. They might want to try to get their points, get their stats up, just like kind of the way as Canada did last season. Um, do you see that as a possibility? Guys like Bobby Portis, uh, Taj Gibson, when he does play, even though he's going to get a nice hefty amount, um, he might be considering the fact that he might not be on a team next season and he's going to want to get his points while he can and not really try to develop the team and try to get the youngsters and like mentor them and you know, just kind of just worry about their own kind of money next season. Do you see that as being a, a potential problem for this upcoming season or no? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm hoping what's different this round than last round is they got all these team options. So, you know, when it's a player option, it's an issue because, one, obviously just if you're the Knicks and a guy, like, overperforms, now you probably lost them because they're going to go and try to get more money. But also, you know, the, the player – the player has an incentive to do what you're saying to kind sure. of build up their stats because it's up to them that they hit the market with a team option. Um, I think it gives you a little more security there because there, there is a chance that you're just staying where you are for two years. Like, you know, if you play or let's put it this way, if you pad your stats and you play above your contract, the chances that the Knicks or the team, the Knicks trade you to are then going to, you know, decline your team option is, is less likely because that's saying, you know, you played above your contract value, so why would they then, 
you know, not want to take you at that lower value. So I'm hoping that extra year gives them a little more cushion for that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm also hoping with this year, I mean, last year, I mean, that's a one season in time that will literally like 20 years from now, they'll be doing like ESPN documentaries (laughs) about how this year was because everything like the fact that you had Zion coming out the same year that all these free agents were changing teams. So you also had the constant noise in the background of who's coming, who's going to fill this cap space. It's not to say there still won't be some because the Knicks can just decline all these options and sign guys or they can make a trade for a guy. But it, I don't think it will be like it was last year where it was pretty much guaranteed that there was – it didn't matter what you did. You weren't coming back if the Knicks could get the guys that they want. I think now there's a little more like, okay, you know, this – we just went through that whole last summer. There could still be something, but it's not as like every rumor I see, every single day the headline is who's going to replace me. And hopefully that kind of helps the roster build a little better too. We're going to end up seeing JV on that documentary. <laughs> JV, Nick's full school underneath, yeah. <laughs> founder. Um, yeah, you're going to repeat like these same thoughts. about that too, right? <laughs> um, no, so, JV, we don't want to hold you for too much longer. We, know we, ha- uh, we don't want to you know, take up too much of your time. But uh, my co-host here had a you know, question about the uh, – I guess I'm just giving everything we talked about in the last few minutes. Just um, say um, let's rewind a year from now and say miraculously – we captured that eighth seed. Um, what in your mind would have went right for that to have happened? Who would have taken that jump most likely? And just what would have driven us to that eighth seed in the playoffs as, as, as much of a long shot as it is at this point? You're, you're saying for last season, not this upcoming season? Oh, uh, this, this season. So, like, let's say a year from now oh, um, we're in the playoffs as the eighth seed. What exactly would have propelled us to that eighth seed if, if, if it were to happen as big, as big of a long shot as it is? I guess I think a little bit. Um, now they don't have the mellow figure of that 2013 team, mm-hmm. but I think about when that team brought in guys like Jason Kidd, and then he shot like something crazy, like right. 52% from three that year. And then Steve uh, Novet, or was he 2012? He started with where he was really hot. But like they added all these players that you weren't necessarily expecting that they were going to be this gunslinging three-point shooting team because while you knew they had the potential you didn't know they would capitalize that way and i see a little bit with this team I and mean, we got to find out i guess with reggie bullock like what exactly his health issue is mm-hmm. but you could you could see where all of a sudden you have this kind of you know bomb squad coming off the bench of you know the, the starters are kind of young um and they're not going to every single night be able to compete with other starters but then suddenly the depth of this team is such that you know, you can make some runs against other second units that not only keep you in games, but kind of get you over the hump where it's kind of this strange thing where it's like you want you want the starters and the young guys to just kind of play you as close to even as possible. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you utilize this depth that they've built to come in and, and that's where, you know, you, you find some wins. So I could see that type of scenario unfolding where, you know, guys like Freer or Wayne Ellington, and like I said, we'll find out with Reggie Bullock's health but even like Iggy where you're going to have these games where these guys are going to come off the bench and they're going to just be hot right like mm-hmm. oh, Trier's going to have one of those nights where he scores 30 off the bench and though that's how you find that's how you find wins and I guess that would be my path to say okay maybe maybe they become a fun team that way to to sneak you know as as an eighth seed um and then obviously you know like we've 
we've seen with, you know, maybe Don, Donovan Mitchell's example everyone uses is you just don't know, like, is RJ Barrett that rookie that is the Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell that no one said going in they were going to be that big of a game changer soon. So just like no one's saying it now about Barrett, the same thing. Um, you know, he could surprise us all and just play a lot better than we thought or Knox could rebound a lot better than a lot of people thought. So it's, it's those things. The, the guy is taking a bigger leap than expected, but I'd say the safer guess would be that that bench is able to give you kind of these sustained minutes and these nights, especially at home. Cause that's usually when these guys come through where, right. you know, you get these, you know, Iggy comes in, he's hitting like three or four threes in a row and the, and the garden's going crazy. Like, mm-hmm. I guess that's, that's my, my exciting scenario. That. Maybe how they could win some games. So with all these youngsters on the team right now, uh, got to ask you a subjective question. Who, who are you rooting for the most to really succeed this season? Out of all these guys, so many storylines between all of them with Frank, you know, trying to make a name for himself with Dennis Smith, trying to get that shot developed. I mean, I know, and we both know it's almost like asking a parent, who's your favorite child. <laughs> so, I mean, if you had to pick a favorite, yeah, right. moving forward, what would it be? I mean, I guess I'm, maybe it's not just so much because I'm a fan of him the most, but like Kevin Knox, I think he's the one because statistically last year, if you use like all that dance stats, he had one of the worst possible seasons you could have. Right. We know that, you know, it's come out from different reports when the Knicks are trying to make trades that, you know, others that famous quote, like others around the league aren't as high on the Knicks young players. So to me, it's like, cannot, what is Knox going to be? And, you know, I don't think anyone thinks he's necessarily going to be like the worst player in NBA, like the advanced metrics say, but is he going to be, you know, there's people who say like, you know, you look at the metrics, he's on pace to be a bust for where he was drafted. So the question is, does he rebound in a way where, you know, I'm not even saying he's got to come out gangbusters and be the best player in the court. I just, I would really like to see him just reach a point where we can say, okay, he's now 20, not, you know, not, he's only 19, right? But he's now 20, and he's at least trending towards where if he's not going to be an all-NBA player, he could be a legitimate starter, potential one or two, you know, all-star appearances, something like that. That, that would be fine. I think that's the problem is we kind of want the extremes. It's like either he's, going to be the next franchise player or he's going to be a bust it's like let's just see him kind of be what where he should be at 20 and showing enough signs that you feel like okay if anything we can count that he's going to be a a contributing starter on our team for you know many years I guess that's what I'm probably in terms of the young guys rooting for the most because the other guys you know even like an RJ Barrett like it's his rookie year I kind of give the most rope for guys you know at, at that point I I totally agree with that. And Knox is so young. I think he's only 10 months older than R.J. Barrett, and people don't seem to recognize that. But, you know, throughout Summer League, he's been playing a lot better. The shot looks smoother. They're going in, and he's making smarter reads. He's making better passes. And last season, uh, there'd be drives that he'd make, and it looked like he'd take two steps into the paint, and then he'd kind of just not be looking around for the right pass, and he'll just kind of try to throw it into the th- try to throw it into the basket. But... Now we see he's kind of altering his body. He's trying to really make different kind of moves. I, I'm hoping that this season we see him going into the paint a lot stronger. But that's going to come out with working out and 
he it's just he just needs to fill up his frame and we i i see that happening right. uh like even now even during summer league he played very well this this season uh this summer league season at least who knew a 19 year old could just you know get get stronger and bigger <laughs> yeah right exactly exactly but you know you're on the Knicks, you're gonna be and he's the main lot another thing too like we all know as Knicks fans they haven't had a ton of lottery picks over right. the last 20 years so it's like he kind of carries, you know, all these guys kind of carry an extra burden of like, you're going to get the hype anyways on the Knicks, but now you're like a rare lottery pick that people can put all of their hopes and dreams on. Well, mm-hmm. you know, that creates a lot of pressure. Exactly. I mean, this is probably the first time we could comfortably say in a while that we've got a young core of lotto picks. I mean, I don't really recall the last time, maybe 2010 when we had a uh, Gallo and Wilson Chandler, but I mean, these guys are their draft where they got drafted is a lot higher than when when those go when those guys got drafted. So it's a, it's definitely a a different change of pace as a Knicks fan. You know, I mean, like you said, it com- they're gonna get hyped up anyway. But now that they've got the mantle of like, oh, this is a young player with potential. It's as a Knicks fan, we're just obviously gonna be optimistic about their chances. You know? Yeah, no, and it's funny because I kind of maybe regretted like going with the way I said it, where I got excited the first summer league game and I tweeted out something like you know, RJ Barrett has a chance to own the city in a way that, you know, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving gave up the chance. But I think the the point behind that was more that it is true that there's something about if you are a homegrown player that becomes a star, there's no way around it. It, There is something different to that in New York. And it's so ironic because New York is supposed to be the place where your big money teams, you attract free agents. But, you know, Yankee fans saw it with, with Jeter versus Aderon. I mean, I think yep. the numbers, you know, when you put those numbers side by side, putting the steroid stuff, uh, you know, uh, off, I mean, it's not really even that comparable who the better player was over their career. Mm-hmm. But it didn't matter because it was Jeter and he fit into everything the fans wanted. And I think that's kind of what I meant here with someone like an R.J. Barrett. It's like, it's not to say he's going to be a better player than Kevin Durant. It's just to say... If you if you play especially this Knicks team that's been so bad for so long and the fans have been waiting to just have like anything they can call their own with hope and everything that just happened with Porzingis, if he actually just comes and is just you know a solid All Star player, you know he's going to be very popular quick, especially with his personality. So um, exactly. you know I think that's that's exciting to look forward to even without you know getting the free agents. Absolutely. Victories like that are just, just feel a lot more fulfilling when it's your own homegrown talent. That's why the championship that, you know, when Miami won it wasn't as, as nice as when LeBron won it with Cleveland. It's just it's just a very different feeling. Um, but, JB, I, 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 again, I don't want to hold you for too much longer, so uh, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, I, I just want to thank you one more time for, for you and everyone at Knicks Film School for setting the benchmark for every all of Knicks Twitter, including us, all the podcasters, all the YouTubers, all the bloggers. You guys are really doing some amazing work. No exaggeration whatsoever. You guys are killing it. And we always look towards you guys for, for guidance and like just, just get an idea of what's going on with the NBA and, and the Knicks. So, you know, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, is, there, is there anything you want to promote or anything that, you know, if, if listeners want to follow you anywhere apart from the, the Twitter account of Knicks Film School, uh, anywhere else you want listeners to really check you guys out at? Um, well, no, I mean, I guess we, we do send out a newsletter. So if you go to our 
um, Twitter account, uh, which is now NYK Film School. Mm -hmm. uh, you can get the link to describe mm -hmm. to that. And that, uh, we're actually now going to do it every Thursday now that news has slowed down. But normally it's Monday through Friday and you get kind of a wrap up of all the news and then a short little article that, that Jonathan Macri will write. Um, but other than that, no, I mean, I always like to just kind of promote, you know, the community. We do a lot of stuff close with Nick Fan TV, which, you know, I think on YouTube, they do one of the best jobs just putting together, whether yep, it's highlight definitely. videos, but also talking, um, you know, even with posting and toasting, which everyone knows, because I think the real kind of godfather of uh, Nick's Twitter was back with Seth Rosenthal. He doesn't do oh, post and toast anymore, but, you know, they followed up in, in his footsteps and, you know, you got Hard Nick's Life that I remember when we were starting our podcast, they they reached out to us and kind of helped us figure out some of the technical stuff. Um, so, you know, all, all these ones, I think it's important to, you know, follow them all. And that's what's unique about, I think, this group we have of content creators is everyone kind of helps each other out. And what I think people realize is it's not competitive. It's the more like all of us kind of rise up and create good content, the more you sort of counter what we call like the clickbait content and people mm -hmm. then spend more time reading those type of our type of content creators than some of the other ones. So, um, so yeah, I guess I would just kind of more shout out all of them. And, and again, thank you guys for you know having that chance to talk. Um, I mean, the pleasure was all ours, obviously. Um, thanks again. I know my partner Mo did a really good job of showing our gratitude, but if we've got to reiterate that again. And, um, like you said, it's, uh, the next online community and just our fan, the, the brotherhood of fans you know it's just it's a nice tight-knit group it's almost like a family so to speak so um definitely echo your sentiments um on that just a you know content creators just working together to uh put out good stuff and obviously at the end of the day it's just we're all just fans talking nicks talking about what we love so um and you guys right now are at the forefront of that um and like, like my partner said it's much appreciated and we owe a lot of you know a debt of gratitude to you guys because Honestly speaking, um, one of the biggest um, inspirations for us to even start this podcast is seeing what you guys are doing, um, setting the example you guys or seeing the example you guys were setting, and um, we want to kind of follow in that in those footsteps. So, major props to you guys. Yeah, definitely. Any, yeah, any way we can we can help, we we definitely will. Awesome. So, JB, thank you so much again for for tuning in. Uh, sorry for for joining us on our podcast <laughs> for this episode. Um, uh and you know we'll we'll be sure to to post this and we'll definitely be taking a listen in to all the next film school podcast episodes and your newsletters and we'll definitely be making sure to to let all of our listeners and followers know that you guys are out there doing awesome things so again jb thank you so much for for coming on to our show okay thanks again guys have a good rest of the day you too thank you